Hi, Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. A quick reminder to visit movements.net to find out more about how you can sign up for the 40-day challenge. Today, Chris Galanos tells the story of his journey from megachurch pastor to movement catalyst. Steve, a number of years ago, uh, I was on staff at a church in my hometown of Lubbock, Texas, which for your listeners is in West Texas. Most people have heard of Dallas-Fort Worth. It's about five hours west of Dallas-Fort Worth. And uh, I was on staff as a worship leader at uh, that church during uh, my college years and began to sense that the Lord was uh, leading us into leading me into ministry. I met my wife in, in the, at that time as well. And so we left Lubbock and we came to uh, for the Dallas-Fort Worth area and went to seminary, uh, Steve. And we were there here for a couple of years and, uh, you know, just thinking that we would end up being a college pastor or a pastor of an existing church. But Steve, my last semester of seminary, I needed an elective. And one of the ones that was offered was a class called church planting. And Steve, I'm being honest, I had no idea what that was. I thought it was about botany. That's what I really thought at first. It's like learning to plant flowers at churches, you know, flowers and plants and how to make a church really pretty and didn't really know it's about like church, like starting new churches. But I'm like, I need an elective. So I take this class and and uh, it's really helpful. And I just never heard of this before. And throughout the course of this uh, class, uh, I began to sense through prayer and just learning about church planning that the Lord wanted us to go back to our hometown, my hometown, uh, my wife and I, to plant a new church. And so we graduated from seminary, uh, came back to uh, Lubbock to start a new church. And there was about 10 of us in the living room at the very first meeting. And Steve, with as much faith as we could muster, we prayed that the Lord would allow us in the next 10 years to help 10,000 people commit their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, so that your listeners understand, Lubbock's a small town, <laughs> so so 10,000 in the next 10 years, I think the people in the room were probably all looking up as we were praying going, do you think that's possible? I'm not, I'm not sure if that can, I'm not sure if that can actually happen, but we, tr- we, were pr- we were trying, you know, in prayer in that room to just say, Lord, we believe that with you, all things are possible. Would you allow us to, you know, be a part of seeing many people in this smaller town come to know and follow Jesus? So that was the beginning of the journey. And uh, we started, you know, uh, meeting uh, thereafter in homes initially, and then we started meeting in a skating rink, and it began to to grow. And uh, fast forward about eight years, uh, Steve, it, right, right, probably after um, being around the church being in existence for eight years, we crossed that ten thousand mark, where just over ten thousand people had indicated on a connection card, you know, like you get on Sunday morning, that they were committing their life to Christ. And we had names and phone numbers and addresses of all these folks. We made sure there were no duplicates. And so we were just so excited that in eight years, not even the full 10, we saw 10,000 people at least profess to put their faith in Christ. It was just a total dream come true. And uh, so uh, two years after that point, at our 10-year anniversary, we uh, got up and we we met at the, um, for that one day, we met at the Texas Tech is the name of a university in Lubbock. And we met at the Texas Tech Basketball Coliseum for our 10-year anniversary because that's the only place we could fit everybody. And we had a multi-site church of 10 campuses, and they all came together, that 10-year anniversary service. And we celebrated that in the past 10 years, we had seen 13,337 people indicate they were committing their lives to Christ mm-hmm. and 6,756 that we had the privilege of baptizing. So 
Steve, we were blown away and we were cheering and so excited for all God had done. But once we crossed the 10,000 mark in year eight, I tell folks we started to pray a dangerous prayer. And I tell pastors all the time, I don't recommend you pray this prayer. <laughs> or if you're going to pray this prayer, you've got to be willing to do whatever the Lord tells you to do. But the dangerous prayer, Steve, for us was after you know passing the 10,000, God, we, we've done far more than we could have asked or imagined. We started saying, Lord, what do you want our vision to be for the next 10 years? Steve, not here's our vision, Lord. Why don't you bless it in the next 10 years? But Lord, would you speak to us? We want to hear through prayer and fasting and reading your word. We want to hear from you. What is your vision for us for the next 10 years? Well, Steve, around that time, there were a number of uh, influences that had uh, come into my life. Um, one of those was a book that I had read while I was in seminary that many of your uh, listeners will be familiar with called Church Planning Movements by David Garrison. And I'd read it in a missiology class, uh, Steve, but I was just reading it again in this season and I saw something in that book that just jumped off the page at me and practically changed my life in addition to some of these other influences. And I'll just read one of the quotes. But one of the quotes in, in Garrison's book, it, it, uh, it's two sentences. He says this. He says, in the years that followed, Langston, who was evidently a missionary, was joined by Calvin and Margaret Fox, another missionary couple. And it says, together they planned what it would take to reach all of the Kui with the gospel. Mm. And Steve, I just stopped right there and I was like, come again. <laughs> These missionaries did what? It says to, they got together and they made a plan to reach all of the Kui with the gospel. And so, Steve, I thought, OK, I get it. I get it. There was probably 100 Kui. There's probably only 100 of them. So, of course, they're planning to reach all of them because there's not very many of them because I'm going, who plans to reach a whole people group if there's a lot of them? And so I thought, surely there's just a few. So, Steve, I look up on the Joshua Project, how many people are in the Kui people group? And I found it was about 1.6 million. And so my mind was just blown. I'm thinking these are crazy missionaries <laughs> have the faith to believe that they could put a plan together to see all of the Kui reach with the gospel if the wind of the spirit would blow into their raise as they, as they raise sails for, for movement. So, Steve, there's a number of things like that in the book that just caused me to begin to go, Lord, so what are you saying about what we should be praying? They were planning to reach a whole people group, but they didn't ever teach me that in seminary. <laughs> they, they didn't teach us to plan or pray toward reaching a whole people group. But Lord, is that is that how you want us to pray? So there were a number of other influences, as Steve, that uh, came into our lives at that time. Uh, I think we have a mutual friend in Victor John in the Bojapuri uh, work in India. And he was a mission partner of our church for years and I got an annual report from Steve where they send out to their mission partners kind of what's happening in, in their work. And I'm sure I'd gotten it before and just I'd, I'd read it and just, you know, it just didn't click with me like it did this year, kind of at the same time I'm reading that book. But in that annual report, it basically talked about the impact that they've seen in that movement that broke out there among the Bojapuri. And they had to send in research teams to measure it. And so they gave a low, mid and high estimate of the number of baptized believers in this movement. This was not coming from the inside. This was coming from an outsider that was measuring this. And Steve, I believe it was on the low end, 8 million baptized believers, mid 10 million, uh, high end 12 million baptized believers. Steve, I almost fell out of my chair when I read that. And I'm going, what? They've only been doing that. I've known these guys for a while. In the last 20 to 30 years, they've seen 8 million plus baptized believers. And so, Steve, around that time, we had a leadership team retreat. We're praying, Lord, what do you want our vision to be for the next 10 years? And I take this annual report, Steve, to our leadership team, and I say to them, guys, 
do you believe God could do this in America? <laughs> and again, they're on a leader. These are pastors of a church. So of course you have to say yes, but really you're thinking, I don't know if he could. <laughs> I mean, because that's crazy. So see, if you combine uh, the book Church Planning Movements and what we were seeing these missionaries dreaming about, the annual report from Victor's organization, a mentor named Stan Parks, it's a movement catalyst, mm. came into our lives at the time that we met and began to mentor us. We really began to sense, uh, Steve, that the Lord wanted us to pray and plan to reach our region in the next 10 years, not just another 10,000 in the next 10 years. And the approximate size of our region is a million people. And so through seeing what God was doing around the world, he gave us faith to pray, Lord, in the next 10 years, would you allow us to see a million people become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ? And so at our 10-year anniversary there, after we've been processing this, getting some training and uh, multiplication movements over a few years between year eight and year 10, we announced it our 10-year anniversary. And we're celebrating the 13,000 plus and the over 6,000 we baptized. And we said, the Lord's given us another vision. <laughs> and we announced there in the Coliseum, we believe he wants us to pray for a million in the next 10 years. And everybody starts clapping, but then it's like, come again. <laughs> what? Can we fit a million people in our buildings? <laughs> like, how is that going to happen? And Steve, what we recognized was just if the Lord had given us truly this vision to see our region come to know and follow Jesus, we knew we would have to multiply disciples and we couldn't just add to church services. Nothing wrong with what we had been doing. It was fantastic. We reached a lot of people. But if God had given us a vision to reach a million, as we discussed together as a leadership team, what could what vehicle could get us there? We knew that only the multiplication of disciples and churches could take us to the million, partnered with other folks, if that's the vision, Steve, that God had really given us. So as we put the million in 10 years on a whiteboard and began to think about what we should do, it didn't take more than a minute for us to decide we can't keep doing what we've been doing. Even though it's great, Steve, we recognize it's addition. And there's nothing wrong with addition. <laughs> Addition's good. But if we want to reach our region, we're going to have to multiply. And so, Steve, we just began the process of learning about these multiplication movements from around the world, getting training and coaching. And then as a result of our 10 year anniversary with Victor John in the audience, he was there at the 10 year anniversary. We announced a pivot in our church to begin to pray and plan toward reaching the million with a disciple making movement strategy. Wow. And what what happened next? <laughs> so at that point, we began to try to figure out. What is this going to look like? Because we've got this existing church and we want to reach these million people. We know it's going to require multiplication. So, see, we began to encourage every ministry area at our church to ask this question. What can we do in this ministry, youth ministry, children's ministry, small groups? What can we do in this ministry to leverage it to help us reach a million people in the next 10 years? And so I didn't tell all of our ministry staff what they should do. I just asked the question, you know, come before the Lord and ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want us to do to leverage our ministry to help multiply disciples and churches that could reach the million? And so, Steve, things began to change. Many different ministry areas began to have ideas, and we began trying different things. We were asking the same thing about our weekend services and, you know, just all areas of our church. And Steve just began to try to leverage each of these areas to multiply disciples and churches. So we began that journey, and um, you know that's what led us to this point. Steve, we began to realize just in looking at these various movements around the world that it can look different. In terms of we um, 
started thinking about our existing churches in Elephant Church and these multiplying churches around the world as rabbit churches. And I talk about that some in the book. And so we began to ask the question, what do we do with the elephant? In addition to leveraging it, what else do we do with the elephant? And so we began a process of, you know, trying to figure that out. And what we realized in looking around the world is we had, you know, some different options. And so um, I've written some about how, you know, some churches may pursue some kind of a hybrid approach where you're still, you know, running the elephant, but you've also got multiplying rabbits on the side. Some doing more of a a transition approach where instead of two visions, you really have one and everything kind of like I was describing as being leveraged for that vision. And then you've got another approach, which is just relaunching as multiplying rabbit churches. And Steve, what we decided to do was, since we weren't sure what the Lord wanted us to do, we began to uh, commit a lot of time to prayer and fasting and reading his word and just saying, Lord, what do you want us to do? What do you want our church to look like? Because Steve, we we realized all of these options could be great options. The question is, Lord, what do you want us to do? So I encourage pastors all the time that read our book or hear hear our story, um, you know, that maybe the worst thing somebody can do is read a book and just go, I'm going to do that. Instead of what they should do is read a book, learn something and just go, Lord, what do you, I've just read this. This has impacted me. Lord, what do you want us to do? And so I always point pastors back to Revelation 2 and 3. And one thing Jesus said to all seven of the churches is, if you have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And so I tell pastors, don't bypass the nights of prayer and fasting and having ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to your church just to read somebody's book and go, I'm going to do what he's doing or what she's doing. Let the Lord tell you in your church, what should you be doing? Should you do some kind of a hybrid? Should you transition? Should you relaunch? Should you do something separate? Steve, you know, so we, we were wrestling with this too. Lord, what do you want us to do? And really, we went through a number of phases. We went through from just initially kind of learning about movements and blessing them and helping to fund them to beginning to release what we call release radicals, release radicals to go and begin to pursue movement strategies outside our church. Then we moved into kind of a more of a hybrid phase where we were doing both at the same time. Then we moved to a transition where um, after that 10 year anniversary, we really started saying, hey, we've got one vision now, not two, and we're leveraging everything for this vision. And then Steve, two years after the 10 year anniversary, we felt the Lord leading us to just do a full relaunch. So we kind of went through all of the phases And now we're really more of a network of churches that's meeting all over the world now. So as as we move from hybrid to transition to relaunch, we we knew that going a different direction than we had gone our first 10 years, we knew that a lot of people had come along on the first 10 journey because they liked what we were doing in the first 10 years. And we knew that as we rolled out this new vision that the Lord had really given our leadership, we knew that not everybody, Steve, would want to take this journey with us. And so even before our 10-year anniversary, we announced, hey, this is what we're doing in the next 10. We just thought, you know what? If people say they're in, then awesome. But if they say, I'm not sure if this is for me, then we would bless and send them to go to other great churches in our town. That kind of became our posture. But we knew it would cost us in attendance. We knew it would cost us in giving just because it wasn't what a lot of our folks would be used to. You know, our focus at that time was we'd have weekend services with you know, um, that people would bring their friends to. And now we're saying, hey, we want to train you to be a disciple maker that go that is sent from our church to make disciples and multiply and plant new churches. Steve, there at our 10-year anniversary, we had been training, uh, doing a DMM training that we went through with about a 50 to 100 people in our church. And at the 10-year anniversary, we sent out our first 50 lay church planners to begin these DMM churches outside of the church, blessed and sent by the church. So even there at the 10-year anniversary, everybody knew 
this is different. <laughs> you know, this is going to look different. And so we really just, you know, began to talk to our church about how serious we felt like the Lord was leading us to, um, you know, get about making disciples that multiply and planting churches that reproduce. So definitely a cost along the way, Steve, but I always tell people following Jesus is worth any cost. And we shouldn't look at all the various options, Steve, of ways we can implement DMM and, and pick the one that's the easiest or pick the one that's the hardest or pick the one that's the least costly or pick the one that's the most costly. Steve, we should just do what the Lord tells us to do. And let him determine how much cost that's going to require or how difficult that's going to be. But Steve, our experience has just been that when we're on our knees, one in the morning, as we would sometimes pray into the night, and we're saying, Lord, what do you want us to do? That he would speak to us. He would tell us what to do. But Steve, every time we sensed him speaking to us, what he told us to do required faith. So I do tell pastors, even if maybe you don't do the same thing we've done, chances are if you have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to your church, he's going to lead you to do something that's going to require faith. <laughs> and when, when I say require faith, I mean, it's going to feel risky. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's going to feel like, I'm not sure we should do this. This sounds kind of crazy. And But Steve, we've just found Jesus is the greatest treasure. And whatever he encourages you to do, you should do. We always call him the senior pastor of our church. We say, Jesus, you're the leader of our church. So whatever you tell us to do, we'll do regardless of, you know, uh, the cause. A lot of times people hear anybody's story and they think it kind of sounds like it happened overnight. <laughs> you know, wow, overnight they went to a hybrid model or overnight some church relaunched. Or, oh. The truth is usually it's not overnight. And our even our 10 year anniversary, Steve, was about five years in the making, getting exposed to some of these principles and getting training and beginning to get coaching and praying and fasting about how the Lord would have us to implement them leading up to a 10 year anniversary where you say, this is the vision God's given us. So Steve, I always tell people, whatever you do, don't read my book or other books as even just a set of methods. Read it is a process we went through that you should go through as well in discerning what the Lord wants to do in and through your church. And Steve, we, you know, I've listed some ways that I've seen people implement the principles, but the truth is there's many more ways to implement the principles than what I've listed. And Steve, what we've got to do that we so often want to bypass, because it feels like when you start learning about movements overseas that the church in the West feels prayerless, what we can't bypass is prayer. What we can't bypass is hearing from the Lord and having him tell us exactly what he wants us to do. Steve, that you don't have to have your whole church behind this for you to get started. That's true for just a layperson in the church. That's true for somebody on staff. You don't have to go, Steve, through a major transition <laughs> as a church to start applying some of these principles. What though happens, Steve, is pastors start going through the training is they also, in addition to doing it themselves, begin to think about, especially if God has revealed to them, hey, this is a way to multiply disciples. They start to think, what are the implications of this, though, for our church? And what's the process we need to begin you know, moving, uh, you know, forward in, in order to help our church come along, you know, with the vision that we feel like God's giving us, which Steve, for us ended up being a lot of uh, prayer as a church, a lot of vision casting to the church, you know, and taking it slow. Steve, you almost can't go too slow, <laughs> you know, especially in our case, we've been doing something for 10 years that was, was great. And so we knew that as the Lord was kind of pivoting us for the next 10, we needed to go slow enough to give people time to come along. And to give people plenty of opportunity to go through trainings and, and to figure out how the Lord wanted them to be a part of this or whether the Lord wanted them to be a part of this. But you're so right in saying in most situations, people just need to get started and then and just see how it goes. 
And if the Lord, as you and your leadership team, if I'm speaking to senior pastors, if senior pastors in their leadership team begin to think, hey, this has implications for our church, then take it slow and through prayer and fasting, hear from the Lord and, you know, be good shepherds as you lead your church on this journey. Yeah, so yeah. DMM for us is basically a process or an approach that can, and we pray, does lead to church planning movements like I described earlier. And the process is beginning with prayer. You ask God, God, where are you working in my community or some community where you're leading me to work? And then you begin to engage that community through access ministry or access business, looking for opportunities to serve people. And then as you're, as you're serving people, you're looking for God to identify the Matthew 10 and Luke 10 person of peace. And when you find that person of peace, you're inviting them and their oikos to begin to discover more about God through his word in, through the process of a discovery Bible study. The hope is that in time, this group falls in love with Jesus and they commit their lives to Christ and are baptized together, Stephen, in new church forms. And then at that point, you're beginning to appoint leaders and look toward multiplying that new church. And that church that was formerly, uh, you know, uh, they were formerly lost people that came to Christ, became a church to go out and begin doing the same thing, engaging a community, finding people of peace and starting groups that become churches. And so that's the process, Steve, that we were, um, you know, from a big picture perspective that we were beginning to execute on. And so we were uh, asking God, God, where would you have us to go, you know, in our town? And I think that's where I mentioned your book in, uh, in, in my book, uh, the story that you told just about somebody looking for some, some difficult areas of town based on the fact that overseas they, they had seen that often the most difficult areas yield the greatest fruit. <laughs> so, Steve, that gave us some direction initially to, you know, uh, begin to seek the Lord about some places to go. And when we went to those places, we saw some neat things happen. And Steve, we've been at it for now um, since the 10 year anniversary, about three, three years, just over three years. And, um, you know, and, and what started in Lubbock now has kind of jumped to different states, as you know, multiplication can do. So right now we're tracking about just under 500 groups like that that have started, not just in Lubbock, but kind of around the country and even some other countries. And we're tracking those groups in, in 19 different states and in 14 countries. And of those groups, 86 have become churches. So we're tracking 86 um, churches in kind of this network. And we've had the opportunity, Steve, alongside, you know, starting groups and seeing these churches planted to train leaders, pastors especially, all over the world. And so in the last couple of years, uh, kind of our team and those that are working with us in this uh, network as well have trained just over uh, 2,000, mainly Steve pastors and church leaders in DMM principles, and then just encourage them to seek the Lord as to how those might look in their churches and in their areas. That we've borne the most fruit, especially in our going out among the lost activities in Lubbock, is in the Lubbock County Detention Center. That's the jail there in Lubbock. And i just tell you one story of something that happened that's just extraordinary. So uh, some of our team, you know, was going into the jail already, kind of in the elephant church model. We had some services uh, going on in the jail, but began to pivot to more of a DMM approach inside the jail. And uh, my dad was one of the first people that uh, started going in with some uh, regularity. And he went into a pod, again, looking for access, looking for some way to connect with people there. Again, we were pretty new at the time. And he found a guy by the name of Tress, and he was at one of the tables, kind of in this open room drawing. And he just went up to him, Stephen, he felt led to ask him, uh, Tress, would, would you consider yourself to be the spiritual leader of your family? And he just said, you know, I was probably a little shocked by the question. And he said, no, I wouldn't consider myself to be, but I'd like to become the spiritual leader of my family. He said that. 
And so my dad said, I'll meet with you next week and tell you more about this, but only if you bring 10 of your friends. <laughs> so so uh, the following week he shows up and there's this little classroom within the pod and, uh, and he brings 10, of, he brings 10 guys from within the pod and they come into this class and kind of the, you know, almost the reason for being there is a class on how to become the spiritual leader of your family. And kind of what this class consisted of was teaching them how to discover more about God through his word and to lead discovery groups, helping other people to do the same thing. So he showed them the discovery process and taught them the seven questions to ask and gave them some uh, passages of scripture. And Steve, they were eating this up. And so they started to go through some of these passages. And, and in time, this group of guys all came to Christ together, were baptized together, <laughs> were baptized together in this jail and established a what we would call a first generation church in that jail. Just that group of guys, Steve, as they came to Christ, got baptized, were trained to go out, started about 50 groups, 50 more groups and other pods in the jail in a relatively short period of time. Well, one of the guys that uh, they uh, met and got to know was a guy by the name of Billy. And Billy, you know, was a part of one of these uh, discovery groups. He came to know Christ as well, began to, uh, to, to try to start some of these groups as well. Because in each of these groups, Steve, we were encouraging them to read, obey, share, and try to start new groups. Read, obey, share, and try to start new groups. And so, you know, Billy was in a group and then he started a group. Steve, uh, Steve we had multiple streams in the jail that were to fourth and even fifth generation groups, meaning there was a group of guys that started another group, that started another group, that started another group, down to the fourth and even the fifth generation, many of these guys having not even come to Christ yet. They were starting groups because they were passing on the stories to friends in the jail that didn't know Christ either, and they were just so excited, even though they hadn't come to know Christ, to pass on these stories. But anyhow, many of them came to Christ, but Billy, uh, you know, in time did, and he went through a little demon training that we hosted in the jail. And in one of our lessons, Steve, we teach him to write a vision statement for what they believe God wants them to pursue, you know, with their, within their family or their, um, you know, their natural network, what they're wanting to begin praying for. And Steve, I got to share, share this with you. But Billy uh, shared his vision statement with us. And he said this. This is a new disciple in the jail, came to know Christ in the context of a discovery group that we weren't even leading. <laughs> we were just overseeing. He was just in one that some uh, you know, other guys had started. But he wrote this out. He said, um, our vision is for Pod 6B to have an indigenous church planning movement that is led by a group of believers. He said, thus allowing everybody in 6B to hear the gospel and have a chance to receive Christ. We will be starting with the nine churches we already planted in the last few weeks. Our end vision is to have all the males in Lubbock County Detention Center have the opportunity to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior by remote housing changes, meaning they were going to go to new pods where these groups weren't started to start them, and through the DMM training, so that discovery groups will be going on in every pod. Furthermore, we also want to emphasize our goal for these church planners to carry this movement on to wherever their final destination may be. <laughs> Well, what's so great about this is uh, another pastor and another uh, kind of pastor or church leader in, in a different church was going into the jail, Steve, one day to work in this pod. And he was going to teach a class, like some kind of a Bible study <laughs> in this pod. And Billy, the guy I just told you about, came to the study and Billy went up to the pastor and he just said, I've got a vision for this pod that I want to share with you. And he read that to him. 
the pastor, and he, he recognized he was connected to some of the training we were doing. The pastor called me later. He said, I had no idea why I was in there that day. They didn't need me. They didn't need the Bible study. These guys were multiplying disciples already without me. He just thought it was unbelievable, Steve, to see something happening apart from the direct leadership in every group, you know, of a pastor. And so that's just an example of the multiplication we were seeing inside the jail, Steve, that then would affect communities outside the jail. See, often people, when they hear about jail ministry, which is great, they're thinking you're going in, in jail, into in the jail to affect change inside the jail. Yes, we're absolutely doing that. But Steve, we saw the jail as access to the difficult neighborhoods in our city. That's why the county jail, not the prison, was so important. The county jail mainly had people from that area, the prison from all over. But the county jail, Steve, usually they were in and then they were right back out. And so we saw it as an opportunity to raise up and train these guys to be church planners in the neighborhoods they came from when they got out of jail. So just the jail for us became not just a jail ministry, but an access ministry to making disciples and planning churches in difficult neighborhoods in our town. And your dad did this. And my dad was the first one in. (laughs) Is he uh, a professional minister or no just a just a prayer warrior and a disciple maker just an ordinary guy (laughs) how ordinary he is steve the first couple sundays of our church in the early days when there's nobody other than our core team and we're hoping people show up he would be out in the parking lot in his truck praying somebody would come to his son's church so i wouldn't be embarrassed i wouldn't be embarrassed (laughs) and uh so it's the same guy just hoping somebody will come to this church years later is uh, one of our most fruitful disciple makers and church planners. And even before the prisoners uh, are ultimately released, is is uh, the gospel getting out to their friends and family outside the prison? Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's what's amazing about it, because, you know, all of them are talking to their friends and family on the phone and they're sharing, you know, this discovery group format that they've learned and saying, hey, when we when we jump on the phone each week to talk or however, however often they talk, let's go through this passage. And so they're doing discovery groups with their family on the phone <laughs> via the phone while they're still on the inside telling their family they can't wait to get out and become the true spiritual leader of their family. So kind of our in Steve in the jail was we can help you become a spiritual leader of your family. And it's through this process of hearing from God and obeying God and sharing about God with others. And And are you seeing this um, in a variety, this spread of the disciple-making movements in a variety of sort of social settings? Like, is it happening in the suburbs? Is it happening in college campuses? Uh, Is it happening amongst immigrant groups? Yes, yeah, Steve, we've seen it in, in many different places. And now that we have kind of a network of churches that's in, that are in different states, we're seeing it even in states that are, you know, more unchurched than other states. Like we have um, a leader that's been a part of our network for a while now. There's a pastor of a, a larger church in Portland, Oregon. So you're thinking, okay, well, Portland, that's different than Lubbock, Texas. Okay, so I wonder if they'll be as receptive in Portland, Oregon. And, you know, they've started a ton of groups in a ton of churches in Portland, Oregon, among people with, you know, very different backgrounds than people in West Texas. So whether it's in the jail or whether it's in difficult neighborhoods or whether it's in, uh, you know, even in some of the networks of families that would come to a church like his church or our church, we've uh, we've definitely seen 
these principles and especially this discovery format really set people's hearts on fire and draw people to uh, Jesus. I will say this though, Stephen, I talk about this some in the book, the areas where we found the greatest fruitfulness though, we, we label as PIPSI areas. And it's an acronym that kind of comes from Matthew 25, where Jesus talks about when you go to these certain groups of people, you're, you're doing it for me, <laughs> you know, mm. to the sick, to the prisoner, to the hungry, the thirsty. So PIPSI stands for poor, international, prisoner, and sick. And so we found, Steve, that as we go to those types of people or those areas, like Jesus said, the gospel is good news to the poor. It just tends to be that we find more people of peace there. People are more receptive and so on. We didn't start out that way, Steve. We started out just kind of in our own neighborhoods and kind of arbitrarily going out. But we found it was far more effective to, one, hear from the Lord about where to go. But we often found he was leading us to go to these neighborhoods and places we wouldn't think to go, like the jail or the hospital to the sick or to this this neighborhood where usually you wouldn't go to that side of town. <laughs> That's not usually where you're thinking to start. But Steve, we found as we kind of went to those groups of people that Jesus mentions in Matthew 25, we, we got so much momentum and found so many receptive people in those areas. So I would say, apart from the Lord telling us to go somewhere different, a lot of our groups and a lot of our uh, disciple makers will start in areas like that. Steve, you know, our dream continues to be the, the million in 10 years, you know, and I don't, that's just a prayer. So we don't know if it'll, you know, what, what the Lord will do with that. But we're, we, and we initially, Steve, thought that would be in West Texas, but we've seen it multiply, you know, all over the place. And so I think that, you know, we're, we want to be a part of reaching as many people for Christ as we can. So when we say a million in 10 years, it's not like we're just caught up in that number. We want to reach 7 billion people. I mean, we, you know, we all want, we're all, Jesus said, go make disciples of all the nations. And Steve, I think so often when we read the great commission, we read, go and make disciples and then keep going. But the, of all the nations, I mean, imagine being a disciple there, Steve, and hearing that. Mm. And, uh, you know, around that time, there was about, if you look on Google, about 200 million people in all of the nations. So imagine being a disciple and Jesus says, hey, here we go. I've been given authority, all authority, heaven on earth. I'm sending you out to go make disciples of 200 million people. And the reason he probably told him, Steve, at the end, I'll be with you always is because they were thinking, we can't do that. <laughs> 200 million people. What do you mean go make disciples of 200 million people? So, Steve, I guess when I say a million in 10 years or the 10,000 in 10 years, it's just about the great commission of all the nations, all peoples. God's revealed to us. He doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So, Steve, our dream is just all over the world to just be able to multiply disciples and churches and leaders and movements so that people that have never heard about Jesus here, so that people that have heard about Jesus have the chance to hear again and that everybody's encouraged to repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus. We're just wanting this good news to multiply, you know, all throughout, obviously, our region and around the world. Again, Steve, we weren't thinking that initially. We were still just thinking kind of locally, but just the way it's, you know, kind of taken off. We're just we're glad to be a part of the 2414 vision. Uh, some of your listeners may be familiar with 2414now.net. Their vision is just to see movement engagement in every unreached people and place by the end of 2025. So we're glad to just be a part of that mission to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. To find out more about the book that Chris has written and to access uh, the resources that he makes available, visit his website at experiencelifenow.com. 
and visit movements.net to find out how you can be involved in the 40-Day Challenge. This has been Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast. Podcast.